στόλου του Πατρός και του Ιού και του Αγίου Πνεύματος Αμήν. Χριστέ το φως του αληθινών του φωτίζων και αγιάζουν πάντα άνθρωπον, ερχόμενον εις τον κόλβον, σημεθούν το εφημάς του φως του προσώπου σου, είναι ένα αυτό ψώμεθα φως του απρόσιτον, και κατεύθυνουν τα διαβήματα ημών προσχασίαν των εντολών σου, πρεσβείε εις Παναχράντος Μητρός και πάντων στον Αγίον. Αμήν. Ευλογείτε. I must say to you that it's the first time that I speak openly, publicly in English, giving a talk. So I'm looking at your lineage and pray so that this homily renders manifest the will of God. Thanks. Your Eminences, Paul, Bishop of Sisanion and Siatista. Your Graces, Bishop of Derby, Ezekiel, give us your blessings. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved sisters and brothers in Christ, blessed youth, may our triune God bless all of us abundantly. We have the privilege of living in an age in which stone upon stone no longer remains. The disintegration of society is the last result of the values and ideals exalted by Western society. As an Orthodox celibate priest, I consider it a quite positive and challenging fact to live in a culture in ruins. Those values and ideals were idols destroyed by the power of their own deceptive effectiveness. Now, beloved brethren in Christ, we have the possibility to begin anew with the enriching experience of the past. We can see this point zero with the eyes of Christ, so this zero may become the wedding wreath by which one can marry orthodoxy. Thus, we can speak about the fertility of zero. Those idols and values which about we have already spoken were the product of an unconscious but mistaken search for the authentic value for the true God in whom all values are recapitulated. In fact, these idols, these ideals were created in order to justify man's egoistical passions. This exaltation of man led Western society, which is rather a mentality, a way of existing dispersed all over the world and not in a determined geographical area, not only to abandon belief in God, but even in man. One being baptized means they are planted into the garden of the Orthodox Church. Baptism also signifies burial, of the old man with Christ in the baptismal font and resurrection of the new man with Christ from the baptismal font. After the prayer of the confirmation, the priest anoints and seals the baptized, making on the person the sign of the cross with the holy chrism, holy mirror, on the forehead, the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the breast, the hands, and the feet. This renders real 
the descent of the Holy Spirit in the heart, body and soul of the baptized, so that he may develop spiritually. But even if the baptized is newly planted in the sacred garden of the Orthodox Church, even if he may develop spiritually, he withers away and fades when he is not watered by the salubrious waters of the divine liturgy, that is to say, the body and the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. To talk of orthodoxy is not easy and it may be quite irreverent, because in order to have even a glimpse of what it is, it is necessary to give completely of one's self, of one's whole life. So, all I'm going to tell you through this homily does not look like a naturalistic portrait of the Orthodox Church, limited to appearances, but rather a sketch outline more akin to a drawing, an icon, an imperfect image, lines and curves articulated in variegated structures ruled by hidden reason. Reason which is an invitation to go beyond oneself, offering an extraordinarily beautiful glare, glare in order that stripped of natural visual faculties, the blind may see the church, the body of Christ, in mystery. Who is the blind? Blind is the man whose inner world is so cloudy because of his passions, so that he cannot see the brilliant light of Christ, and consequently cannot discern which thoughts come from the angels, which thoughts come from the demons, and which emanate from his proper nature. That means spiritual confusion in its fullness. Blind also is the humble. He has not eyes that are closed in upon the appearances, like the previous one, but he has eyes that were ruined by the saltiness of the waves, that is to say, abundant tears. Stripped of his own faculty of vision, the humble child of God wears new eyes, the eyes of Christ. These eyes are the new glasses by which one goes deeper and deeper in the depths of his heart, where they discover edible fishes of a unique beauty. That is the grace of Jesus Christ who remains silent within our hearts since the day of our baptism, waiting for a cup of love from us, that is to say, our cooperation with him. Thus, a cry that runs through all ages emerges from the deep of the existence. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. When praying with joy-making mourning, Sighs resound like thunder, while tears fall like rain, irrigating the barren soil of one's heart. So the crucified Lord helps us carry the burden of our multiple and extremely heavy passions. It's the Lord himself who carries the burden. The profound and intense presence of the Holy Virgin, our Panagia, during the spiritual course, is at hand. When Jesus Christ is born within our hearts, we become God-bearing by grace and by participation. We are calling for help, and her son rejoices. So does his mother, 
when we are calling for help from her son, crying from the depths of our passionate and malicious hearts for his mercy. An Orthodox Christian differs essentially from a Roman Catholic and also from a Protestant because of the fact that he has a living relationship with the Mother of God without loving excessively, idolizing, adoring, or depreciating her. An Orthodox Christian loves and respects highly the Holy Virgin like his mother and much more than his mother. He makes prostrations before her icons and honors her. An Orthodox Christian goes to God through Our Lady, so did God. He met us through his mother, as proclaims the Acathistos hymn. Hail, celestial ladder by which God has descended. Hail, bridge that bears men from earth to heaven. In the matriarchal community of the Holy Mountain in Greece, the reign of the Mother of God is clearly perceptible. She is the mother of the monks, they are Gerondisa, as we say. As the unique lady of the peninsula, she oversees its stones that are laid side by side in sequence to form an orderly path. By reason of her intercessions to her son, there is an old definite order. This definite order is our holy tradition, that is to say Jesus Christ himself, who abandoned and abandons always himself unconditionally to me and then from me to you, from one generation to another, the same living God during the ages, the same consuming fire. Christ is the center. Around the center point, our lives revolve. We used to say that the church is the body of Christ, Corpus Christi in Latin. The same happens with a local church. For example, here in Australia, imagine an enormous human body that covers all the territory of our archdiocese. According to St. Gregory of Nyssa, the head of this body symbolizes the archbishop. His eyes are the symbol of the clergy in total. His hair and beard correspond to the monastic orders and the rest of the body symbolizes the laity. The heart that beats always sending the life-giving blood to all the body and its cells in order that it does never perish reports to the divine liturgy and the holy communion. What a blessed relationship between us. That's the paradise on earth. The kingdom of God that has already come and not yet. Referring to the Roman Catholic Church, through the previous image of St. Gregory of Nyssa, we could say that only the head, the head exists and the rest of the body is absent because they have deified the Pope and they forgot Christ. According to the Protestants, the head does not exist, while only the body is present. That's because they believe in a lot of heads and not to the unique one who is the head of the whole church. So, we are speaking theologically about defective ecclesiologies. If for a Roman Catholic Christian, Christ is not but a fertilizer just for the improvement 
of the quality of the ground in the orchard of the world, and finally for the growth of this modern man-centered civilization, for us Orthodox, Christ is rather a bomb which explodes and transmutes everything into church. The difference is fundamental. But the absolutely different experience of an Orthodox Christian, an experience that exists nowhere else, is the union of the living and of the departed in the one body and blood of Jesus Christ during the divine liturgy, so that Jesus Christ himself becomes our space-time. All this happens by our triune God's grace. Once immersed in such an experience, man realizes a lot of things. Within him the worlds of spirit and matter are united. By his body he belongs to the world of matter. By his soul he belongs to the world of spirit. Through the power of Christ who destroyed the power of the devil, man has the possibility of going beyond appearances to see reality with a purified heart. Freed from a mind attached to appearances with the help of prayer, fast and vigil, full of non-possessive love, non-egoistic love, and with Christ's eyes, man is able to elevate himself to the contemplation of spiritual realities. We commit ourselves to the task of getting rid of our attachment to appearances. This is the work of metania, metania, signifying, first of all, a change of mind, a turning of the intellect, or better, a change in the way of one's life. Living in two worlds, that of the flesh and that of the spirit, recognizing his weakness, his impurity of heart, and how worldly his mind is, the repentant man asks Christ, who annihilated death, for help and mercy, through the intercessions of our Mother of God and all the saints. Every time that the faithful runs towards Jesus by means of prayer, surprised, he finds out that there is abundant time. As time passes, the repentant Christian finds out the silence of time. He listens to this silence so full of love. He tastes of this love and goes beyond time where he discovers eternity. Losing all self-assurance in this sweetness of love, Time is no longer for him the enemy. He meets the risen Christ. As the waters of immortality refresh his body and soul, he loses all fear of the monster death which is carried by the river time. Deeply in his heart, he knows that death exists, but Christ the Savior has killed its nerves so that the agony of the death has been also annihilated. Let's have a look to those who suffer from psychological problems, just as neuroses, psychosis, depressions, etc. All of them have a problem with space and time. Their relation with space-time is affected. They have a hellish sensation of these two dimensions, which causes to them an unbearable anxiety. Sometimes they feel time goes by fast in an anguished way. 
Sometimes they have the impression that it lies depressingly immobile. The same changes happen into their souls in relation to space. If they are outdoors, they suffer from panic attacks, and they go indoors, where they suffer from a sort of suffocation. Under the skin of these situations, the fathers of the church clearly discern vaunted feelings and more precisely vaunted pride, selfishness, egoism, arrogance, self-importance. Humility, unceasing wholehearted prayer, participation to the holy mysteries or sacraments and mainly to confession and holy communion, unify, integrate the whole man and normalize its relation with himself and with space-time. In the name of progress, under the banner of civilization, Western social reality which does not limit itself to a geographical point, but extends almost all over the world as an idiosyncrasy and way of life, exalts phenomena as the only reality, rejecting all that stands beyond logic. Such an attitude, a sensitive man cannot accept without damaging his soul. Any person with the heart of a child cannot but react against such an outlook on things and attitude towards life. Thus, poets and artists of the recent past and most young people of our generation gave and give witness to their non-conformity and search for the true reality, regardless of whether they succeed or not. The true Orthodox Christian, realizing his weakness as a creature, becomes thereby aware of another reality behind phenomena, and thus cannot accept an exaltation of appearance as the only and as the true reality. He transcends phenomena by spiritual contemplation and goes farther. That is why he chooses the way of life-giving death uncompromisingly. This insight may partly explain the flowering of monasticism today in Athos, Holy Mountain, and the fact that our parishes are packed with young people. Meanwhile, the young people in Greece, like those all over the modern world, having more or less destroyed all the idols, see our civilization clearly as a dead end. Having destroyed the idols, they find themselves on the threshold of truth. In order to receive the truth, they want who is and who is not, who exists beyond existence. We need to have nothing, nothing in order to receive. This is the privilege of our time, living in abundance, in quotes, we have nothing. Having nothing, we are closer to the truth. During our disturbances, trials, troubles, sorrows, across the ruins of our lives, very shyly a beautiful blessed light shakes. No hand can lay hold of it. It escapes, but in our sadness it may be seen in the palm of our hand. Saint Simeon, the new theologian, who wrote hymns of love to God, 
describes wonderfully these comings and goings of the grace to the soul and the body of the Christian. Nowadays, many young people are looking for the truth, for authenticity in their lives. Some look for the solution in drugs or in the Eastern religions and philosophies, mirages in the desert which attract modern thirsty man. Others meet orthodoxy, the living water, embrace it and become monks or remain laymen. In Greece, many young people are becoming monks in Mount Athos, having had had the experience of zero, in other words, having realized how magnificent, in quotes, is our dead civilization. By means of prayer and based on our life-giving tradition, modern young people can learn to fight the triple evil, flesh, mundane way of life, and the devil, which influences one's inner world, wherein one can discern three fundamental passions, lust of power, avarice, and sensuality. It's very important to understand that in orthodoxy we don't eradicate our passions. They cannot be eradicated. Moreover, this would sound like a Buddhist teaching. For us orthodox, passions are loving powers of the soul which have been derailed, so as instead of being directed towards God and our fellow man, they are dispersed to objects of passion and lust. The basic aim of one's spiritual life is by means of life in the church. They may transform their passions into love for God, vertically, and their fellow men horizontally. This reminds us St. Gregory the Theologian, who speaks about the two-dimensional, cross-shaped love that characterizes a blessed man. Spiritual love contains these two dimensions, and that is the Holy Cross. Crucifixion, burial, and resurrection consist a triple necessity in spiritual life. Crucifixion means one crucifies their senses on the cross of prayer, fasting, and full attention. Burial means that the intellect goes deep and deep into the heart and rests there in the nest of the grace, eliminating totally all fantasies. Resurrection means that one's intellect, onus, meets this grace and the total man is unified. Both their body and soul rejoice at the uncreated divine energies of the Holy Spirit, exactly as the prodigal and homeless son did when he returned to his homeland. As the Christian prays, either in his house or in the church, his heart is comforted with eternity. Through him waters of hope irrigate the whole creation. Through the whole creation he venerates the Creator. Through him the heavens declare the glory of God. Through him the full moon in the firmament offers a silent chant to God. To him the stars glorify the Lord. Through him the waters and showers of rain, the dews, the crystals, all the flowers and trees, the birds and the fishes, all the animals of the earth and of the sea, all creation visible and invisible venerates the Creator and gives him glory. Through prayer, 
the true Christian circumcises the foreskin of his heart, renewing and recoloring in himself the whole world, throwing light forward in thousands of rays on the march of creation, bringing it back to the Creator with thanksgiving and love. Man is a microcosm containing in himself all creation. He is a well where waters from everywhere converge. As he repents, he mediates for all men, for all creation. God became man in order that man may become God by grace and participation, says the Orthodox Church. As when you put a piece of iron into the fire, the iron becomes fire by participation with the fire, while remaining iron by nature. There is one fire without beginning and eternal, without parts and undivided, being three sons of the one divinity, one God the Father, of the one Son begetter, and of the Holy Spirit the source. Unity unconfided, unity unconfounded, and trinity undivided, while in no way moving out of its place of secrecy, this fire rises in the man's heart inside of his heart. By means of the orthodox baptism, this fire has entered into our hearts. It is hidden within us, yet a great and deep darkness covers all of us and we do not see this joy-giving fire which is not different from the light of the resurrection of Christ or the light of his transfiguration. This is Christ's light. Christ himself, who gives light to our darkened souls. The clouds of our passions are covering this light. Immaterial, uncreated light and perfect love is the future kingdom, which begins down here and finds its fulfillment in heaven. The beyond is in this life. This great spiritual reality, declared by the same words and unorthodox, the great French surrealist poet Arthur Rimbaud. From a worldly point of view, one who aspires to become a true orthodox nowadays may be regarded as weakly and defective. Nevertheless, when they are dropped into the sea of spiritual life, when they are deeply concentrated in their heart, they are giving birth to prayer by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, our Holy Virgin, our Panagia, is at hand to rescue them from every danger. The spiritual life of a true Orthodox Christian is not self-willed. It implies obedience to his bishop, to the spiritual counsels of his spiritual father, and respect for the Church's tradition and order. Renouncing his own will, one is brought nearer to God, wearing an incorruptible and radiant robe which the Spirit weaves for them with the pure fleece of the Lamb. With millions of prayers and remembrance of death, the true Orthodox compels, in quotes, the Spirit to weave for him and for all the naked a robe of glory, of sparkling white, so as their whole life, either socio-economic or political, 
may become proportionately a paradise on earth. With faith to our triune gods, to our church which is and remains the boat of love and at the same time the lifeboat for all of us, with the blessings of our Holy Mother's intercessions too, let's go on shipboard awaiting the voice, the voice of the Captain Jesus. Heave up anchor and trace the mainsail. Thank you. Thank you, Sirs Muthia. Um, at one stage, you said people that have anxiety, uh, panic disorder, things like that, is a result of selfishness, pride, uh, vanity. I was a little bit uncomfortable with that comment. What do you exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean to say that people who suffer from anxiety uh, bring it upon themselves because they're spiritually weak, or do they not realise that they have these weaknesses and therefore? As, as a consequence, they suffer from anxiety. Sa? Suffer from anxiety. Because you, you did mention that. And anxiety. I, yeah, I just thought it just struck me. I thought, you know, it's almost like, almost as a, a form of punishment for... We have, we have yeah. combined anxiety and agony uh, primarily with neurosis and psychosis. Hmm. Yes, and uh, the cause of all this illnesses of all these diseases is vaunted egoism um, according to the teaching of our Holy Fathers. What exactly is this egoism you speak of? That's what I'm saying. How does that, yeah, egoismos, what, what does that really mean? Yeah. Egoismos is that uh, one uh, has the impression that is the center of the world. I think a lot of people um, suffer from that without even wanting. They do think they are the center of the world, don't they? Yeah. That's why we have spoken about the fertility of zero. The humble uh, has the impression that this is a, a zero, but a zero full of love. Mm. So there is no egoism. Thank you. In the humble. Okay. Thanks for that, Father. Um, I was struck when you were talking um, about this sort of idea of returning to zero and how that affects um, praying. Um, I sometimes have the experience when I pray of feeling like an imposter, um, as if the words uh, are sort of coming from another space, or not, not necessarily a space that's inside uh, me or... Uh, a sense that they're not genuine words, let's say, or that they don't necessarily arise from um, a sense of what I truly mean. And in that, in in trying to kind of describe that, um, what, what would you say the kind of alternative to that is? Does, is that something that sort of practice helps strengthen, or is it kind of like um, an illusion or something? By means of prayer and uh, vigil and uh, fast, we can be strengthened um, towards the hellish sensation of space-time, if you have spoken about it. I have answered? Sort of. I, I guess I'm more sort of asking about the... How does one make one's words 
sound truthful when praying. Yes. We have learned in Athens the British pronunciation. And your pronunciation is a bit, uh, sounds very strange to me. So excuse me, but <laughs> I will try. Um, uh, never mind. Never mind. If, if you have the sensation that um, um, uh, your, uh, your, uh, your words don't come from the heart, don't be anxious and continue to pray, to pray, to pray, to pray. So, by the time, you will be concentrated, and that will be a um, gift of the grace and not of yourself. Okay? Thank you. I wanted to ask, when we have to be humble towards others that persecute us, when do we draw the line from speaking the truth if someone opposes our Christian beliefs in this world, and when do we stay humble? What does it mean stay humble? Like when do we answer back or defend our church or defend the teachings of the church when the world or where we work oppose, oppose, oppose them? If, uh, yes. if, they, if they tell you that you're Christian and you're mad, because you're Christian and you believe uh, to the difference of the sexes and to the marriage, this is, that is very good for you. It is very, very good for you. It's a, a sign that you go very well spiritually. So don't be anxious and uh, make more intense prayer. Thank you, Father. Um, also, uh, uh, at the same um, uh, issue that uh, we at whole Melbourne actually is um, experiencing with marriage equality, where does the Orthodox Church stand with this? And uh, if it does fall through, what will happen in a sense where if it does um, affect uh, our church and then our priests will have to or need to say uh, married, or, you know, married are these um, uh, other sexes? How would um, the Orthodox Church um, be able to handle this? There are only two sexes, male and female. There is no third sex. This is the conclusion of the science. There is no third sex. Yes, that's uh, with our law, but... The gay, the gay cops. Man. A gay is a man who loves a man. But he is a man, biologically. There is no third sex. If it comes law... Independently from what he has for, for tendons, he is a man, biologically. And the woman also desires a woman and wants a woman. She is biologically a woman. There is no third sex. It's a, what I'm actually saying is that if it becomes so, law... So we, can, we cannot speak about marriage between male and male and female and female. This is not a marriage. Because a marriage... A marriage is buried. Marriage is an experience, an experience of life. Homosexual relation is experience of death. Okay, so basically, what I'm saying is, it will the Orthodox Church be exempt? The Church rests the same in the ages of ages. It's not a question of law. Christ is over the law. 
is eternal. And we who believe in Christ, we are with him. Thank you. Good evening, Father. Um, you brought up other religions before. I, um, I know people from many religions, Roman Catholic, Anglican, um, born-again Christian, and I know people that are very committed to Christ and live their life according to Christ, do missionary work and do very good things. Do these people have less grace because they're not orthodox? Do they have less chance of salvation because their churches have become branched and are heresies? Uh, Christ will save us according to our um, intention. And we don't know the intention of a Roman Catholic or, a, of, a, or of a Protestant or a, of an Orthodox. But uh, in a level of teaching, there is difference. There is difference in the, in, in the level of teaching. There is a great difference fundamental difference but God knows what he uh, will do with everyone according to the intentions of the man because God goes deep and deep into our hearts and he he sees there he discerns our intention but in a level of teaching that is false Um, Father, you said this is your first talk in English. Yes. English is the language that I'm very confident in and it's taken me a while to understand our beautiful Orthodox Church even though I'm born Orthodox. Um, and you said in your talk that the importance of participation. Um, the problem we have here is we can't participate in our beautiful divine liturgy because of the language. Don't, you don't participate. We can't participate when we don't understand it. Yes. Therefore, when we don't participate in our liturgy and we don't have an opportunity to meditate on the epistle and on the um, gospel reading, we cannot have the teaching of our Lord and our Saviour. And our people have gone astray. Our Orthodox people are confused. Um, they don't mean to live a life in apostasy of God. But they are living a life of apostasy. I lived a life of apostasy for 40 years and I have family members who don't agree with my... You're, um, you're Orthodox? I'm born Orthodox, but I'm born here. Am I? You are? Born here. I'm, I'm born here. Oh, born yes. here. And um, I understood about our faith late in life, 40, but at least I understood about our faith. But... We can't participate in our beautiful divine liturgy, Father, because we, 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 can't, we can't be part, part of it. So that, this is where the confusion is with all the community issues. Um, this, and it, it breaks my heart because I had a life that was miserable, that was evil, that was with Satan. 
I never knew that there was a God who I could be intimate with and my life could have gone completely off track if I didn't have an opportunity to hear the message of the Gospel Father in a different language from a different Christian church. And um, so you explained how Mount Athos is full of young people, young people who have, haven't found fulfilment in life and have gone up to Mount Athos. And but, but you are young too. No, I'm 57, 57. <laughs> and, and my we'll heart... Of the same age. Yeah, my, my heart breaks farther because not all of us can have an opportunity to meet people like you. My prayer is that some people come down, sorry, from Mount Athos and mix with us. So we, can, so we can meet you and then meet Jesus through you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In regards to the topic of your talk tonight, I must say that there's a saying amongst uh, monastic communities, which is, give blood and receive spirit. And that's what I think that if we want to progress in our spiritual life, we must give blood to receive spirit. Being born in Australia, not going to Greek school, I gave blood. Slowly, slowly, I'm learning how to read Greek. Attending church services, you sit there, you pray, you listen, you go home, you read the book in English, you read the epistle the night before, the gospel the night before. So when it's said in Greek, you can understand. If we want to progress with our spiritual life, we must struggle. Like you said, to reach vertically up towards God and then... We look horizontally and we help those people that are struggling. So in Australia we have a bishop who was born in Australia but is a bishop. He knows how to read Greek. So we must give blood to receive spirit and step by step we will progress. Thank you. We. Yes, I agree, with, I agree with you on this point, yes. So sit down and pray. Sit down and pray. Sit down and pray in your room. Thank you for the speech. I just have a question. You mentioned about the different Christian sects like Roman Catholics and Protestants. What is the church's view in Greece about our closer relations with Catholics, considering our patriarch Bartholomew went to the inauguration of Pope Francis, and it seems like these two churches are improving their relations. Thank you. That is very good that we improve our relations, and it's not dangerous, this because we like dialogue and we like to give our witness about our faith. So we are not anxious about it. We're very joyous. Thank you. Θα πρέπει να ευχαριστήσουμε τον πατέρα Εφρέμ για την προσπάθειά του για να κάνει την ομιλία αγγλικά. Κατέβαλε πολύ προσπάθεια 
Και βέβαια τα κατάφερε όπως τα ακούσατε, όχι μόνον αυτό, αλλά καθ' όλη τη διάρκεια της ομιλίας σας γέμισε με το χαμόγελό του. Γι' αυτό τον ευχαριστούμε πάρα πολύ, όπως ευχαριστούμε και τον Σεβασμιότατο που τον έφερε μαζί του. Και εγώ σκεπτόμουν καθώς τον ακούγα, ίσως σε ένα από τα συνέδρια μας να τον καλέσουμε είτε στο State ή στο Παναυστραλιανό να έρθει να μας ομιλήσει και να είναι τις δύο-τρεις ημέρες που έχουμε το συνέδριο μαζί. Πιστεύω ο Μητροπολίτης θα τον αφήσει οπωσδήποτε γιατί όσο αγαπά τη Μητροπολή του της Σάτιστα αγαπά και εμάς εδώ πλέον. Γιατί μας έζησε και μαζί όλες αυτές τις ημέρες και είναι πολύ ενθουσιασμένος όπως και εγώ είμαι ενθουσιασμένος με τη Σάτιστα, που είναι πάρα πολύ όμορφη πόλη. Και όσοι, όσοι πάτε στην Ελλάδα, θα χαρεί πολύ να σας δει στη Σάτιστα. Είναι μια πάρα πολύ όμορφη πόλη, με πολλή ιστορία και με πολλά μοναστήρια, ωραία μοναστήρια, με μοναχές, με μοναχούς και θα μείνετε οπωσδήποτε πολύ ευχαριστημένοι. Επειδή το θέμα ήταν λίγο δύσκολο, θα είναι στο ίντερνετ. Επομένως μπορείτε να το δείτε στο ίντερνετ και να το μελετήσετε και να το καταλάβετε βέβαια. Την άλλη φορά θα τον μαλώσω να μας πει ένα πολύ πιο απλό θέμα. <laughs> Αλλά εκείνο μετρά όλα τα πράγματα με το ανάστημά του. Και πρέπει να σας πω ότι το ανάστημά του το πνευματικό είναι πολύ μεγάλο, πολύ ψηλό, πάρα πολύ ψηλό. Γνωρίζει άριστα και την αγγλική και τη γαλλική και την ισπανική και έκανα δύο τρει άλλε γλώσσε. Γι' αυτό θα τελειώσω καλώντα το σεβασμό του απευθύνω ένα χαιρετισμό με την παρουσία του εδώ. Εμεί σε λίγε μέρε φεύγουμε. Πρέπει να σας πω ότι αυτές τις μέρες είδαμε πολλές εικόνες από τη ζωή τη δική σας εδώ, από τη ζωή της Εκκλησίας, από τη ζωή των Ελλήνων. Χαίρομαι γιατί η τελευταία εικόνα είστε εσείς. Όλοι εσείς που ήρθατε απόψε εδώ, που φανερώνετε τη δίψα που έχετε, προκειμένου να καταρτίζεστε ως χριστιανοί ορθόδοξοι για να μπορείτε το πέλαγος αυτής της ζωής να το περάσετε και να φτάσετε στο τέρμα και στο λιμάνι. Η ζωή μας έχει πάντα νόημα όταν έχει αναφορά προς το Θεό. Τότε η ζωή του ανθρώπου έχει νόημα και έχει και αξία και όλα αυτά τα ζούμε μέσα στην Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία μας. Και εσείς εδώ, νέα παιδιά που γεννηθήκατε εδώ, που μεγαλώσατε, μένετε σε αυτή την παράδοση, την πνευματική, που πραγματικά έχει την δυνατότητα να νοηματίσει τη ζωή του ανθρώπου. Το ξαναλέω, θα φύγουμε με την εικόνα τη δική σας, που γεμίσατε σήμερα αυτό το ναό, και που αυτή η παρουσία σας δείχνει μια δίψα πνευματική. Πατήρε Φρέμ, σας μίλησε πάρα πολύ όμορφα 
και νομίζω ότι ο καθένας μπορεί να συνεχίσει τον προβληματισμό του πάνω σε όλα αυτά που άκουσε. Σας εύχομαι η χάρη του Θεού να σας σκεπάζει όλους σας. Το Πνεύμα το Άγιο να σας φωτίζει και να σας οδηγεί ισπάσαν την αλήθεια. Καλό σας βράδυ, ο Χριστός να είναι μαζί σας. Διευχών των Αγίων Πατέρων ημών, Κύριε Ιησού Χριστέ ο Θεός ημών, ελέησον και σώσον ημάς. Αμήν.